Hi, I'm Ken Clark, the minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Here's another recording of one of our worship services at the Old First Church. We record these Sunday services and post them weekly. They're available on our website and also as a podcast entitled A Walk to Cleo Hall on Spotify, Anchor, and other broadcast apps. This service is intended for September 13th, 2020. The organist is Jean Marie Callahan, and the preacher is Ken Clark. Welcome to worship at the Old First Church. Join me, if you will, in saying together the opening words found in the order of service. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is in me bless God's name. Mercy and justice are the Lord's. May God's presence be seen in love and peace. Our hymn is Sing Praise to God Who Reigns Above. Thank you. 
Join me, if you will, in saying together the opening prayer found in the order of service. God of all ages, who from generation to generation has heard the cries of your children, humbly seeking forgiveness, and has welcomed sinners back into your embrace, hear the thoughts of our hearts, examine our motives, forgive us our faults of word and action. We ask this through your Son, who died that we might know the true cost of forgiveness. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. first lesson is from Paul's letter to the Romans in the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 12. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Here ends the first lesson. Our psalm hymn is a setting of Psalm 103. <laughs> 
Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. As he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Here ends the second lesson. Today's sermon is a little bit of a potpourri. I'm not going to go into full depth on the Gospel of Matthew with the wicked punishment that is given at the end, although it's something to think about, especially when you hear at the end, in anger, the Lord hands the person over to be tortured. So my heavenly Father will do also to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother and sister from the heart. That sounds like a very bad end for us if we don't hear and tend to the gospel, if we do not forgive one another. This process of forgiveness, and many a sermon has been preached on forgiveness. I'm going to talk about it a, a little today, but I really want to turn in a, a different direction as well. But let's think for a moment on the idea of forgiving. Forgiving is something we are told we must do, and some sermons will come up with rules and manners of forgiving. They'll say that, well, to forgive someone the first the person has to come to you and either ask for forgiveness or that person has to repent or be aware of what they are doing. In this section of Matthew, obviously, people are asking for forgiveness. Whom we, must we forgive in our life and what must they first do? Is there a sense of reparations, of justice that has to precede forgiveness? So much has been written on this. And I've preached before on some of these topics, but I want to just lift them up for you today to think about what's necessary for you to be forgive. And then in terms of your own religious perceptions, what must you do to have your slate clean 
to feel that you've done your duty. We certainly, all of us, don't want to be, in the end, tortured by a sense that we have left something undone, we have not been kind to someone else, we have not done what we ought to do, but still we have to wrestle with this question of forgiveness, how it's to be given, when it's to be given, who should demand it, and who it is owed. In addition to that deep question, there's the phrase, forgive and forget. We've often been told we should forgive and forget. We should forgive and just walk on beyond that. And some people say that being able to forget a trauma or a hurt is the best way to heal, to move on. And some people say it's important always to remember to forgive, but also not to forget. Those are two ways of thinking of the whole problem. It may be there are some things that are best to forgive and forget, to move on. It may be that there are some things that it is good to forgive and always remember. Always remembering doesn't mean we are given an impediment to moving on. Always remembering means simply that. We never forget. We've seen those slogans on certain things where people say, never forget, and that's a true point of of life for us. I was struck this week, this is the week of September 11th, we remember events, we remember events from 19 years ago. It's going to be 20 years in just a short time. And here in one college campus was an effort to memorialize what is going on, and I, I commend that. Tomorrow, um, you're hearing this on Sunday, September 11th falls on Friday. Uh, this was a message that was sent out because a certain college is observing September 11th, which I think is a great thing. But here's the wording. On September 11th, 2001, four planes crashed, resulting in the death of thousands of people. The first plane crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8.46 a.m., The second plane crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center at 9.03 a.m. Later, a plane crashed into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. at 9.37 a.m., and a fourth plane crashed into a field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, at 10.07 a.m. At these four times on Friday, September 11, 2020, a fire company will sound a truck siren and horn in memory of those who passed during each plane crash. I think that's wonderful that the observance is going to be held, but I was struck, especially since this was an observance on a college campus, and I realized that most of the students who will be on campus hearing those sirens were not even born. Some were not even born. Some were only two and three and have no memory of what happens. Forgive and forget. And yet I realize the way that announcement is framed, it sounds as if four planes just randomly fell out of the sky and crashed into buildings. There's no context given there except the context of lost lives, which we all mourn and which we even in this church especially remember, but in every church and every place in our country remember. Those of us who were alive certainly can't forget where we were, what we were doing, how our lives were changed. 
And yet I look at that announcement and I marvel about the ability to sanitize the past, to remember, and yet to forget at the very same time. What a curious, curious thing to be able to do it that way. So I hope in this week you take time to remember those events. I believe even in our offertory this morning has been chosen specifically to commemorate, memorialize, bring to mind some of those events. Part of our work is indeed as Christians to forgive, but also part of our work as Christians is to constantly remember who we are, where we've come from, what we're doing in this day and age. As I've said, the events of 9-11, September 11th, 2001, have shaped our lives in a major way. One of the defining marks changing the ways we live. And now we find ourselves again, twenty, almost 20 years from that time, living through another period where we think our lives might be changing and we don't know what the future will look like. Long ago, people talked about the end of history. History is not ending. We are on a journey together. And in that context, I want to go back to the reading from Romans. We are on this journey together, and Paul's letter to the Romans has a way of unifying us. There's some things in the gospel this morning about God's judgment for those who won't forgive. Paul writing last week that people should be thrown out of church if you or ostracized if you don't agree with them. And yet here he is this week saying, tolerate, tolerate. We can all live together. Our aim is the same. We love the Lord. We are the Lord's. We are all in this together. I was going to title my sermon, The Week Eat Only Vegetables. What a great title for a sermon. But I knew I'd get a lot of trouble because I know there are some vegetarians among us. And um, they might think I was poking fun at them, which is not Paul's point here at all. Paul points out in the church in Rome, there are some people who eat meat and there are some people who abstain. It could be in that context, those who were abstaining were Jews who felt that the meat in Rome was not kosher and against dietary laws. These Jews were perhaps part of the Christian gathering places in the early church because of our Jewish Christian heritage. It could be that some were eating only vegetables for other reasons. Whatever the reasons, Paul says it's irrelevant. They're doing what they can do. Those who are observing special days and those who are treating all days alike, Paul says we're all in this together. We are all part of the same family and we're all loved by God and we should all love God. The reading I didn't give this morning from the Old Testament was the story of Moses parting the Red Sea and the escape of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. And I want to change topics rather abruptly today. I said today would be a potpourri of different things to think about. Forgiveness, forgetting, remembrance, 9-11. And finally, I want to turn when I think about the Red Sea waters parting, when I think about people being unified, when I think about people and times changing, I want to go back to our pilgrim story. 
And the reason for this is, in addition to the many anniversaries in the fall, this is the 400th year of the journey of the pilgrims from England to the shores of New England. And even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, even though the world has changed very much, I don't think we should forget what's going on. In normal times, we might be celebrating these days more directly. And also, in this day and age, I recognize that it's not fashionable to celebrate the pilgrims, to celebrate parts of our heritage. We read, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, when we read about the heritage of slavery even 2,000 years ago, we think about how in our own country we wrestle with these issues in the present, in the past, in terms of our culture. So what is there to lift up and to celebrate and to remember? What must we forgive in our past? What must we forget? My sense is that we should forget very little. I'll leave that process of forgiveness to you, only to say that for the slave who doesn't forgive in the Gospel of Matthew, his life itself is torn up by his inability to forgive. But let's get to that process of forgetting, something I don't want to do with the pilgrims. And the reason I mention it is there's another anniversary this week. It will come on September 16th. September 16th, 1620 is the very day in which the Plymouth ship Mayflower left Plymouth on its voyage to the New World. I remember as a child, I used to think about the story of the pilgrims, and it seemed to me they probably took all summer to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Now you realize that, well, it was a long crossing, but it wasn't that long. Then you realize that these crazy pilgrims left on September 16th, 1620. They knew fall was coming. They didn't think they were sailing to the Bahamas. What in the world were they thinking? Well, they were thinking they were escaping England. They were thinking they were going to be able to practice their religion with a degree of freedom. And they knew that in England, since the year 1593, worship in the Anglican Church was compulsory, that people who were caught maintaining an independent, free congregational church could be arrested, put in prison, perhaps even put to death. They knew that books were seized, writings were suspect. They knew they had to leave. So off they went September 16th, 1620. 50 men, 19 women, and 33 young people or children. That's amazing, those ratios. 33, a good third, were young people. Their journey to this shore was, of course, intended for the area around um, the Hudson River, the northern part of the Virginia colony. They were about 500 miles off course in their journey of 66 days. They left on September 16th, and they arrived on November 21st. You're going to hear a lot about, that, about this in the next few weeks because uh, I do think it's important to lift them up in almost every week as we go along. They arrived on the New England coast, not at the mouth of the Hudson River, but along the New England coast, landing in Provincetown, on the tip 
of Cape Cod. When they landed in such a way, they had a decision to make. Of the people who came aboard the Mayflower, of the 102 passengers, about half were religious believers and about half were people who were looking for opportunity. They called them saints and strangers. The saints were the religious types. The strangers, like Miles Standish, were in it for whatever money could be made, whatever adventure could be had. When they found that they were not in the place they were supposed to be, there was some sense among the strangers, among the adventurers, that maybe they should break the whole thing up and just go for it in their own way. And that was the time that something called the Mayflower Compact was signed. What was the Mayflower Compact? I won't go into detail here. It's a potpourri. We're going through these things lightly, so I'm just going to reflect. The Mayflower Compact was a way that people could eat meat or eat vegetables and not worry about it. The Mayflower Compact was a way that people could live together in one community and survive a harsh upcoming winter. The Mayflower Compact was a reality that they were on their own, that each person was entitled to determine or have a voice in their affairs. But if they were to succeed, they could only succeed as a unit, as a group, as a community. The Mayflower Compact was predicated on a sense that this was a mission in the Christian tradition, but it was not about that in and of itself. It was about how to survive. And it was a recognition that if this small group of people, these 33 young people, these 19 women, these 50 men, if they were all to survive, they had to tolerate one another. They had to get along. They had to serve one another. They had to sacrifice for one another. That they were in it together. They would have to forgive. They would have to tolerate. They would have to accept some things they might not want. But they would have to see that their only hope was a recognition that, that they were in this thing together and their goal could only be achieved with harmony, cooperation, forgiveness, and some sense of love for one another. That's one reason why I think it's important to preach the pilgrims in these weeks ahead. These are some of the lessons that we should not forget. Amen. Our hymn is We Are Your People.
Thanks for joining us again for a service that we've recorded. Thanks especially to Jean Marie Callahan, who is accompanying us on the organ and also doing a great amount of vocal work for us, more than she might usually be doing on a normal Sunday. We're assigning, or I'm assigning perhaps some challenging pieces. I direct your uh, attention to the order of service and to uh, the second hymn, which is Psalm 103. We're singing sometimes some psalms and some songs that we might not normally sing because for some reason I assume it might be challenging for the congregation, but I know Jean Marie is up to it. I'm not sure. <laughs> she always um, gets these assignments from me, sometimes on short notice, and uh, I just want to thank her especially for uh, being able to cope uh, with the challenges I'm, I'm giving her. I suspect it's like a pitcher on the mound, and I'm uh, pitching fastballs probably too close or something like that. But at any rate, she's stood up to it just fine and has a great uh, anecdote, if you look in the order of service, connected with uh, Psalm 103. I was not aware of it before I assigned it, but that's what you get when you have a good organist. You always are surprised. Uh, secondly, as I mentioned in the sermon, there's a little sense of uh, our meditation on September 11th with the piece by Daniel Pinkham. So for both those musical selections, in addition to prelude, postlude, and everything else that goes along with it, our thanks. Our thanks also to Nancy Andrews, who keeps things going and orderly and has produced the order of service for us as well. My final word this week uh, is that we're working diligently uh, to see when and if the church can open and some alterations are being made, not to the way the church looks, but to the way the air flows through it. And once those things are accomplished, perhaps we'll have some good news for you in terms of opening up the church. Uh, this may come at the beginning of October, it seems, uh, but I don't want to announce anything prematurely. So keep your fingers crossed. Keep everyone in your prayers as we go ahead. And since we're making those arrangements and changes, uh, we're aware that the church and its work is both spiritual and practical, and each side requires to some degree our sacrifice. That's why we have a morning offering. And if you're listening, it's a virtual morning offering. So if you're so inclined to support the church and these services, uh, you can participate in today's offering by sending something to the Old First Church, One Monument Circle, Old Bennington, Vermont, 05201. The morning offering for the work of the church will now be received.
We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, be with us this day. Be with us as we remember. Be with us as we remember heroes. Be with us as we remember those who sacrifice and have sacrificed. Be with us as we remember those who are innocent yet bear scars of violence, of anger. Be with us as we turn to our world. Behold its complexity. Give us a spirit that will never despair. Give us a spirit equal to the time we live in. Enable us to look backwards and see those whose lives, though touched by tragedy and loss, have been transformed into things of goodness and love, of kindness and forgiveness. Teach us that healing is no easy process, but healing is our work as your children, that this world is here for us to act in, to achieve that harmony of life that enables such great gifts of beauty, joy, and happiness, things which come only after storms, after healing, after love. Teach us how we can open our lives, be receptive to your spirit, be guided by the acts of others in the past who have done just such things. Be with those this day who remember great losses and have lived on. Be with those who struggle in present times with the trauma and scars of the past. Be with those who ask for forgiveness. Move those in life to ask for forgiveness and move those who are asked to find it in their heart to forgive. Keep us united and loving and tolerant of one another. Let us never forget our humanity as it is bound up in your divine gift. And we, O Lord, are yours in this life and the next. We remember this day those who are ill, those who have any need of any sort, shelter or job, those who are lonely, those who are worried. As this new season begins, let us rejoice in nature and the colors of the 
woods and the changing of these seasons. Let us know we are here for good purposes. Give us strength to hold fast to what is good. Now in silence we make our prayer to you. Amen. And as Jesus taught us, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn is The World Abounds in God's Free Grace.
And now may God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be of good cheer and live your faith in the week ahead. Tune in again next week for another service. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved. <laughs>